is Diagnosis Glaucoma with your hosts, Dr. Mona Colleen and Dr. Harry Quigley. Thanks again for joining us for this continuation on our series about glaucoma surgery. We're still talking about minimally invasive glaucoma procedures. And the one that we're going to be talking about today on this episode are the ones that go in the subconjunctival space. So previously, we have talked about glaucoma surgery done in the subconjunctival space. We've talked primarily about the trabeculectomy and the tube shunt. There are some devices that are also implanted in the subconjunctival space that have come out in this era of the minimally invasive glaucoma surgeries. Mona, what if somebody forgot what the subconjunctival space was? Maybe we should tell them again that the eye has layers and that if you look at the white part of somebody's eye, it actually has three layers in it. And those layers include the conjunctiva, which is like saran wrap. It has blood vessels in it and it's very thin. And we can take that down and put things under it. And that's the kind of surgery that we're talking about. Take down the conjunctiva, put something under it, something leads into the front of the eye, and then you put the conjunctiva back and it heals beautifully in place most of the time. So now everybody's set. We're going under the conjunctiva with a deep dive. And with a subconjunctival space, the surgeries that are done there, they form something called a bleb. Again, remember that from the discussion about trabeculectomy and tube shunt. So the bleb is that area that Harry just discussed where the aqueous humor, the fluid from the eye that causes the eye pressure to go up, it flows into that pocket and that pocket is hidden under the eyelid and the subconjunctival space. Although there are people who say, I don't want a bleb, and they've seen the picture of them. You know, when you raise up your eyelid, you can see this area. With your eyelid in its normal position, nobody sees it. And what I like to say to some patients is, well, we're going to save your vision, and maybe somebody could see this bleb, but you know, the people who can see it are people who you let get within 12 inches of your face. And those are people who probably care an awful lot more about you and that you can still see than worried about exactly what that eye looks like. So let's talk about the two devices that we know about right now. There is something called the Zen, X-E-N. This is a shunt. Basically, it's made of porcine, and it's 45 microns in the lumen size, and then 6.5 millimeters in length. This shunt is implanted from the anterior chamber right above your iris into the subconjunctival space. There is another device called the Preserflow. This is a little bit bigger than the Zen. It's actually twice the size and diameter of the lumen, and the length of this device is 8 millimeters. It's made of a man-made material, and it has wings that help to prevent the migration of this and keep it in place. Both of these devices can be done for any sort of open-angle glaucoma. If you have a history of angle-closure glaucoma, then your angle needs to be opened first, either with a laser peripheral iridotomy, which we've talked about in the past, or surgically, although the way that the devices are approved is really for open-angle glaucoma. For individuals who've had another surgery before in the subconjunctival space or somewhere else in the eye, like a cataract surgery or one of the other glaucoma procedures, you can still have one of these as well. It is important to have a healthy conjunctiva 
and a cornea to have one of these procedures, though. But that's most of our glaucoma patients, though, don't you think? If they haven't had a lot of prior glaucoma surgery, they would be a candidate to be able to have one of these procedures. I would say so, but I'd be pretty careful. Whenever I examine a patient in clinic, I look at their conjunctiva to make sure it's robust and healthy, not too thin, because one of the potential complications is that there could be an opening or a leak or something of that nature in the conjunctiva. They are not very common with these two devices, but there are possibilities. So I want to make sure that this is done in someone with a healthy conjunctiva. However, if someone is at risk for a failure of a subconjunctival surgery, like we had talked in the past about trabeculectomy and some risks for failure, then I don't think I would do one of these procedures. I would probably do one of the other ones. Some people say to me, well, do you try to keep all the scarring from happening? And it's an interesting difference between healing and scarring. If I get a scratch on my finger, I want it to heal. And I certainly don't want to have a scar. So scarring is more healing than you want. And for these procedures, as with other glaucoma operations that we do, we want the right amount of healing and not too much scarring. And Harry, how do you prevent healing and scarring? Well, I wish that we had the perfect way in every individual person of generating the exact right amount of healing. And the truth is that we don't know exactly how to do that. But we do know that some medicines decrease the amount of scarring and therefore provide the right amount of healing. And those medicines in general are in the family called prednisone or steroids, corticosteroids. So very often around the time of this surgery, beginning either immediately before and certainly afterward, you as a person, if you're having this procedure, are going to be having very frequent eye drops, maybe even every two hours when you're awake initially to try to suppress the immediate healing that would lead to bad scarring. Okay, Harry, I'm going to ask you a tough question here. Isn't it true that steroids can also increase your eye pressure? There's no question that every human eye will get a higher eye pressure if you give enough of a dose of steroid. But if we're giving it in the post-operative time just for a week or two, and if the operation itself is contributing to getting aqueous humor out of the eye faster, then the steroid will never have a chance to get started causing the eye pressure to be higher. And by the time that would happen, the operation is successful and the right amount of healing has happened. So it's dancing along a fine line. Good point. So the steroids that we use postoperatively help to prevent scarring of the glaucoma surgery, but they can also increase the eye pressure a little bit. So it's just something that we watch very carefully in the post-operative period. One of the other things that we can use to try to prevent scarring during these surgeries is an antifibrotic agent called mitomycin C. It's commonly used in trabeculectomy procedures, and we also use that when we do a Zen or when we do a Preserflow. So Mona, if trabeculectomy and tube shunt surgery, which we did a previous podcast about, are pretty successful, then why would somebody need to be working on or developing newer procedures? What are the potential things that would be really useful and good about, let's say, this Zen procedure that was approved by the FDA? Well, some people are looking for minimally invasive options. And with these MIGS procedures, like the Zen, 
there is less of downtime and the surgery takes less time to perform. So many patients are able to kind of get back to work and things within a day or two. Whereas with a trabeculectomy, that may not always be the case. Sometimes the healing period is longer for a trabeculectomy than for one of the minimally invasive glaucoma surgeries. So this procedure came about the Zen and the Preser flow because people were looking for ways to get something in the subconjunctival space, maybe to get some of the kind of benefit you could get from a trabeculectomy, but didn't want the potential risk associated with the trabeculectomy and the downtime. There is a trade-off though. So with these procedures, we are not seeing as good of success with the trabeculectomy. So in my mind, and I assume in yours, trabeculectomy is still the gold standard procedure for glaucoma. There are several things we can talk about. The first is a minimally invasive procedure is still done in the operating room and it's still done with local anesthesia on the eye. After the eye has been made completely sterile, in terms of scrubbing around the face and putting sterile drape and using sterile instruments and other things. So while it's true that the Zen procedure probably takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes, would you say? Correct. And a trabeculectomy might take 30 minutes. So there is a shorter period of time, and there are fewer things done to the eye itself. With the trabeculectomy, we need to make a valve-like mechanism out of the layers of the eye. And we also reach inside the eye and we make an opening in the iris. That's not done with the Zen procedure. In fact, the original idea of the Zen procedure was to sneak something from the inside of the eye, from across the eye, from one side to the other, put an inserter, out from the inside out, inject the Zen and back out, and you were done. No cut on the iris, no touch the conjunctiva. It was really, really good as a theoretical idea. And in fact, that's how the procedure was originally approved by the FDA. Many surgeons, though, I think now, and perhaps you too, Mona, are now, though, opening the conjunctiva. And instead of inserting it from the inside of the eye, they're placing it from the outside in in both directions, and then closing the conjunctiva. So there's a little more incision involved, even though it's still minimally invasive. Correct. There are some different techniques on how to do these procedures. I have adopted the one you just mentioned, where I open up the conjunctiva. Although the way that the device was first come about on the market was to just insert the implant from inside the eye. But the reason why I do it where I open up the conjunctiva is because in my hands, I've seen less scarring and better results that way. So that's why I've adopted that technique. But then you'd ask me, did I think that this was as good as another procedure, let's say trabeculectomy? Well, the way to answer that question is a randomized clinical trial. I mean, that's the definitive way to go about it. So in the absence of having that, there's my opinion and your opinion and everybody else's opinion as to which it is. I think there's no question that in the available literature, the one operation, no reoperation success rate of trabeculectomy is better. And there's no question that the significant complication rate of having to go back to fix something that was untoward that we didn't want to happen, that's higher with trabeculectomy as well, even though it's still low. There is some good work being done by our colleagues, Randy Craven and Elise McGlumkey here at Wilmer, with regards to the Zen and success. Some of the other nice things about the minimally invasive glaucoma surgeries done in the subconjunctival space 
is that even though there is a bleb, it's not quite as high as the one that you see with trabeculectomy. There tend to be fewer complaints with cosmesis because that bleb is lower. And something that we get asked about all the time is can you wear a contact lens with a trabeculectomy? And I don't know about you, Harry, but generally I tell my patients who are going to have a trabeculectomy that they will not be able to wear contact lenses afterwards. But one of the nice things about the Zen and the Preserflow is that patients can still wear a contact lens afterwards. We did some studies that looked at the long-term problems with infection after glaucoma surgeries. And while the infection rate is extremely low, it does have a maybe a one in a thousand per year rate of people who've had a glaucoma operation, trabeculectomy, that develop an infection that needs treatment. Many of those are treated very successfully, but a few are not, and that's quite devastating when you get a bad infection. In looking at those who got infections and comparing them to people done in the same year and followed for many years into the future, our colleague Henry Jampel reported that people who wore contact lenses after trabeculectomy were two or three times more likely to have one of these infrequent later infections than people who didn't wear contact lenses. And as you pointed out, Mona, it's probably because the contact lens bumps into the bleb area, abrades the surface, and lets bacteria come in through the little scratch on the surface that the contact lens is causing. So if you wear contact lenses, a tube shot operation or the Zen procedure might be safer for you. You've just inspired me for an episode that we should do on contact lenses and glaucoma. All right, so let's talk about the long-term expectations and also possible complications that can occur with the Zen or the presser flow. Well, as we mentioned earlier, scarring can occur in that subconjunctival space. So often there is a need to go back and revise the bleb where we break up the scar tissue with the needle. There is also a higher risk of this procedure failing than, for example, the trabeculectomy or the tube shunt. It's not very common, but erosion or a hole forming in the conjunctiva can occur. There's a pretty low rate of infection, but it's still there. There is also the potential that there could be an occlusion of that shunt, again, not very common, or that the shunt sits a little bit too close to the cornea or the iris. But those are all things that we try to control intraoperatively. They're not things that we expect to occur later on down the road. Well, this brings our discussion about minimally invasive glaucoma surgery to a conclusion. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, your mom says take your drops. 